This is the Owens Recovery Science Podcast. All right. Welcome back to another Owens Recovery Science Podcast. Johnny Owens here with the always cute and cuddly Kyle Kimbrell. That's exactly how I envision myself being described most of the time. Like I, maybe that should be my new bio for when I speak at conferences. I'm speaking at California this year. Nice. Just be the cute and cuddly podcast host from Owens Recoveries. <laughs> so Kyle, I was at the Ana conference this last weekend in New Orleans, the Arthroscopy yeah. Association of North American Conference. And uh, after it got done, I was talking to one of the docs that you've dealt with, and he's like, "Yeah, my guy." Uh, I really work with a lot out here in LA is ah, his name. He's the bigger chap with the beard. Oh my God. Oh yes. I'm going to use the bigger chap with the, the bigger beard. chap with the beard. Yeah. Yeah. We've been giving Nicole, we've been giving Kyle some crap about he's put on some LBs post COVID. So. Yeah. Just sitting around the house. I got to get active. This is ridiculous. So that my talk was all talks at on. It makes six my biceps long. look bigger though. Kyle, all talks at on. were six minutes oh. long. How many oh, slides do you think I got in? 72. 26 slides in six That's, minutes. Woo! <laughs> so impressive. Uh, yep. I don't Turn know. Around. I've got the HSS Pro Sports Conference. 20 minutes. I'm going to shoot for 80 slides this weekend. Oh I got I to gotta whittle it down a little bit. You, you do because at PFATS, you had 20 minutes and Reggie had to like nudge down. you. He had to shut you down. And you had 72 then. But not actually. Then, the next day, I brought my laptop out and made people watch it. So I, <laughs> I actually completed it in front of two people. It's <laughs> uh, 100% accurate. <laughs> All right, man. Let's, let's not keep our guests waiting. So, this is going to be an awesome podcast because this is a subject we get asked about a whole lot is blood flow restriction and neuro. And, and we've had people on the podcast before, our friends that are looking at this, like Mark and, and MS and you know, Parkinson's and things like that, so the, those kind of neuro conditions. But really the one I get the most is the traumatic neurologic things like stroke and spinal cord, um, things like that. And so that's who our guest works with and has been doing blood flow restriction with. And she gave a, a talk with her colleagues from Parkview um, Healthcare System, which is in Indiana and Ohio um, at CSM, which I missed because of the stupid Rona. Um, so I had to catch up from you guys and, and y'all couldn't stop talking about Nicole, her, her talk that she gave along with her friends and especially some of the cases they rolled out. So her name's Nicole Walter. She is a neuro residency coordinator at Parkview Health. Um, and she's been there quite a while from what I could see from her bio and seems to know all things neuro, one of the leaders in this space. And so I'm just going to send it to her and she can kind of tell us a little bit about herself and then how the happenstance of hooking up with sports medicine folks at Parkview that linked her up with Buffalo restriction. Okay. Welcome, well, Nicole. Yeah, thanks guys. Thanks for having me. This is, this is a pretty exciting, exciting opportunity. Um, so a little about myself, I've been a PT for 20 years in February, which doesn't really seem real, but here we are. Um, I started my career doing a mix of acute care and inpatient rehab. So I have experience in surgical trauma, ICU, acute neuro, neonatal ICU, um, and inpatient rehab. And then I think it's probably been about nine years. I, I made the switch to outpatient neuro. 
um, which is fantastic because, you know, everybody I see mostly wears pants and we don't have to work on weekends and holidays. So all of those things have been <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> the high points. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I'll never not appreciate those things. Um, so I, I kind of got hooked up with blood flow restriction, um, over COVID. So our, you know, Parkview is a, a comparatively big healthcare system in, in Northern Indiana. Um, and I kind of got hooked up with our sports medicine guys around, around that time. Cause they're, you know, they had kind of, um, they weren't seeing as many patients cause just, you know, people weren't doing anything. Um, and we had kind of talked with them a little bit about, Hey, you know, we've been doing this. We've been seeing really great results. Like, what do you think about maybe trying this with people with neurologic issues? Um, so it, it kind of, honestly, you know, it kind of stressed me out a little bit at the beginning. Cause it, it sounds a little bit crazy. You know, if you think about, you know, I'm going to take somebody with a spinal cord injury or a stroke and just, you know, go ahead and occlude blood flow on a limb that they maybe can't feel very well or can't move very well and, and see what happens. Um, but you know, we, we looked at the research and found out from what we could find at the time that it was safe. Um, and, you know, I have a couple a couple um, people with spinal cord injury that I've been seeing for a really long time. And we're just, we're always looking for new things to try with them because they they want to walk and they want to walk badly. And they're relatively young and relatively good shape. You know, we talked to them about it and we're like, hey, you know, this is a, this is kind of a new thing. Are you guys, you, basically let's try it and see what happens. And they were all in for it. And that, that was where it started. And so part of your residency, you guys are, seeing them from inpatient to outpatient. So it's not just your typical kind of outpatient residencies that a lot of us think about. So you do see them post-acute and acute. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Our, we designed our residency on purpose to try to follow the patient through their um, continuum of care. So our resident does three to four months in acute care, including um, intensive care, and then does three to four months in inpatient rehab and then finishes, finishes residency and outpatient. Nice. And like John and Ryan, they're, they're kind of OGs at this. You can tell there's a YouTube video of John out there and he's got the Gen 1 device. Kyle, Zach Long tra trained him back when he was with us. That tells you how long oh, ago John, John John got trained. John who? What's his last John name? Detmer. Yeah. Yeah, they've been incremental. Yeah. So, yeah, so Parkview, you, you know, we see with these healthcare systems and, and we have quite a few that we work with. For the ortho sports, it's just like seamless, roll it on in. And then they're like, yeah, neuro, you know, they were talking about this or peds or whatever. And the, and the hospital almost is like, ah, we're not sure about this. With a, with a large healthcare system, did you have to navigate that at all? Um, I, Brian might have done that. Um, you know, we, we kind of thought about it and, and we've actually done some, some actual studies that we're working on writing up and, and then plan to publish at this point. But, you know, when we were first starting it, you know, like, like we had talked about, it's, it's exercise, um, yeah. just with the modality involved. So I don't know that we necessarily went through any, any official channels. I mean, we talked to, I talked to my bosses about it. Um, and you know, Brian, who is the boss of me is also the boss of sports. So that kind of worked out well. And he was really yeah. instrumental in, in hooking us up and facilitating that communication. Nice. Did you have sort of some, once you, once you heard from the guys, you guys did your kind of safety profile of this. Did you right mm -hmm. off the bat think, okay, I've got these cases in my mind that I initially want to try this on, or how did you guys start instituting it? Well, I, you know, I, I'm not really okay with trying anything to my patients that I won't try myself first. Yeah, sure. um, so I tried it first and 
it was awful, man. I had to do like a couple <laughs> more, I felt like I was moving a house by the end of it. Um, but like I said, you know, the first couple of people that we tried this on, like they're, they're in great shape. They work out daily. Um, they're probably in better. I mean, not probably, they're definitely in better shape than I am. So they kind of seem like my natural, natural go-tos and they're, they're pretty willing to try anything that might help. So nice. it took a little bit. I was a little nervous about it. Wanted to read about it a little bit because, you know, spinal cord injury, um, with anyone that works with neuro with that population. And you think about what might be a noxious stimuli, uh, you know, autonom autonomic dysreflexia was a big concern right away. Cause that, that's a pretty bad thing that we don't want to happen. Yeah. Did you see that at all? I did not know. Yeah. And those, we, we haven't it. seen that either. Yeah. And there's mm -hmm. a study that's looked at that and hasn't seen that it's really set it off as well. So yep. that was there. I'll, I'll say this. There was so little neuro out there that a spinal cord injury nonprofit out in it's Arizona, right? Kyle Chanda Plain? No, in uh, Colorado, Colorado, Colorado. Yeah. yeah. They just reached out to us and, and we donated them units because we're like, please try it. And, uh, you know, we, we just need to get some data and see safety. And we're like, you know, we're, we're not sure about it. And the lady that runs it, she's an actual spinal cord injury. And she was like, look, I'm going to do it all myself. Y'all collect as much data <laughs> as you want. And uh, we'll see from there. But, but yeah, that was, you know, kind of back in the day, we were already hoping that there was just safety. We weren't even looking at outcomes yet. Now you guys yeah. have got some yeah. outcomes. So let's move on yeah. from the safety piece and maybe take us through some of the cases. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the interesting thing, and we were, we were a little, I, I would say we went at it pretty cautiously. The first couple of times we tried it, like just simple mat exercises, like nothing else, just moving around. Um, and I think the main thing that all of our initial people told us was that they had, a, like a great reduction in spasticity for about two days after wow. they tried, um, which was pretty exciting. They, they liked it. I will also say as we, as we did it more and more with them, um, that was not an effect that maintained, I think as they got used to it, it, yeah. it didn't seem to last as long. Um, but yeah, we've, we have been trying it on people with complete and in incomplete spinal cord injury, more prevalently with our people with incomplete spinal cord injury, transverse myelitis, a few. Um, and you know, what we, what we had talked about it at CSM, um, one of the things that we were trying to figure out what to do is in, in neuro, um, a clinical practice guideline came out a few years ago and it talked about robotic assisted gait and how that was probably not necessarily something we should be doing. Um, and so the, the clinical practice guideline is designed for people that are already walking. So of course, if somebody's already walking, we probably shouldn't yeah. be putting out to help them walk. But, you know, there's always that subset of people that I see that I think have ambulatory potential, but they're not quite there yet. Um, and, you know, sometimes in outpatient, it's just us. Like we, we don't always have a tech available. We don't always have students available. And sometimes it takes like three to four people to try to help our patients walk. So we are crying you know, one of the things that was against the robotic assisted gate was that we couldn't get the intensity needed to promote that neuroplastic change. So then we kind of started thinking, well, you know, BFR is pretty hard. So what about that on people while they were on the geo? Could we get that, that heart rate change and that intensity that, that we were looking for? Um, and so our, I mean, our answer was yes. Most of the people that we did, did this with got that intensity threshold, whether through heart rate response or through or through the, you know, the RPE scale. And so we, I think we included people with spinal cord injury and with, with stroke in our, and in that initial study. And that was bilateral BFR. Yes. Yep. We yeah. did bilateral R. And then we had an option of adding in e 
if we didn't get the results we wanted, but I think we got the results we wanted without the e-stem, except for on one person, but he was one of the people that we tried it on first. And, and like, I think I already said, he's in better shape than all of us. So it didn't really, you know, I wasn't super surprised that, that we didn't get it there. And you're using the geo system. So is getting BFR with the, all the harness and everything on that? Is that, is that a bitch or? It's not, it's not as bad as you think. And I've gotten way better at it. The more yeah. that we've done it, it's a little bit time consuming, but usually, you know, we, we've been calibrating the BFR every time we use it with our, with our patients. And then while they're laying down, as soon as it's calibrated, we just put the harness on while they're, while they're there. It makes for our spinal cord injury people, um, it makes the transfer back into the chair a little dicey because the harness doesn't let them bend forward very well. Um, but I think that's been, been the biggest, the biggest issue. What, uh, LLP, if you wouldn't mind sharing, do you guys use like 60%, 70%, 80%? We've just been going 80%. 80%. Nice. Mm. Our, our OT lady after my own heart. That's what I love. Let's go. Let's go big, man. All all tolerated it really well. Our, our OTs are starting to do some with the upper extremity and they're not using. Yeah. We, they typically will use around 50%. Yeah. The upper extremity. Cool. And and then building off this protocol, what do you do with them? Is it like a sets and reps type thing, time thing? Um, Again, I was a little bit cautious the first couple of times we did it. So most of our people that we've been seeing have already been on the geo. So I knew they'd tolerated that well. So we do a session of BFR to make sure nothing bad happened there. Um, and, you know, since most of them have been using it, I knew they were all, they could all tolerate upright. So blood pressure issues and that kind of thing wasn't a huge concern. If it, if it was, I don't know that I would have done, done both of them, but, but the people that we tried it on haven't had any issues with that. So the first time we tried it, we just kind of left it left it run. If they wanted to go, the, the geo can be set up in a couple of different modes. So it can either do all the work for the patient and they're just along for the ride, you know, which we don't encourage. We want them to still try to work with it. Um, or we can set it in a mode where it senses where the patient's failing in the gate cycle and then provides assistance during that time. So usually what we do now is, you know, eight minutes is kind of a long time to be working that hard. Mm-hmm. So going, going circuits, like two minutes of that active assist and then one minute of passive, um, and we've, we've been using the eight minute cycle for the BFR and then doing a couple sets of it um, okay. while they're up there with, with that rest in between. So around 16 minutes total occlusion would, yep. be, would be the max you're doing there. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And to, I think and to, a couple of people, we've tried it three times and they've been okay, but that just depends on how quickly we can get everybody harnessed and up and everything. Yeah. Everything okay. like. Intolerance has been. Great. No adverse events uh, that you can really speak of. Um, there, the biggest adverse event is that we found that if we stopped the BFR and the geo at the same time, people did not always retain consciousness as much as I would like from a pretty big drop <laughs> of blood pressure. <laughs> but <laughs> that again. <laughs> That's a cool party trick. Hey, I'm gonna watch. You guys want to see Bill go down? Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> Did so not then, retain consciousness. Is no, that's, we, don't get that. we don't use those words in ortho ever. Yeah. <laughs> we would prefer. Um, so then we just, we stopped the BFR, but let, let them stay up on the geo for like another two or three minutes. And, th- and that hasn't happened since then. Okay. Uh, I did so have probably one. Had a, like a reperfusion central kind of flow oh. of fluid probably. Yeah. I would, I would guess that just caused a drop in, in blood pressure. Maybe. And once they were, like the, the patient was fine. They were, they yeah. were we down quickly and everything was okay. Um, and then we did have, we did have one patient have some 
pretty severe nerve pain after trying it. Um, he said lasted about 10 or 12 hours after. Um, and I think his quote next time I saw him was Nicole, I love you, but I'm never doing that again. Mm, okay. Um, but and that it was, was, it was bilateral leg nerve pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And when you're looking at RPE or heart rate, are you actually monitoring heart rate on them the whole time? You have like a target we're, we're shooting for, what, what do you yeah. shoot for as a target? About, about 70% of that heart rate max, 70, 75. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wow. So they're really working. Yes. Yep. Okay. Nice. Deeper ones, like we had a couple of patients post-stroke that are on beta blockers. So we, you know, heart rate's not a super reliable indicator then. So we've, we've just used that RPE. Okay. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Um, and I had three other questions in my head. I'll let you go Kyle real quick because <laughs> I, I just lost it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so I you're curious. dying to ask something. Oh, I always have curiosities. Um, I'm kind of curious, Nicole, like, in circumstances, I'm sure there are circumstances where you have decided not to do the BFR walking with people or any form of BFR with a neurologic patient, or, or there's maybe a couple circumstances that kind of stand out in your head where you, um, you chose not to use it. Maybe our, our big ones are if they have any of the contraindications, and of course we're, we're not going to do that. And it's patient preference too. So, you know, I'm, to, to some extent, I'm not really about making my patients do things that they're not on board with. Um, sure. since I don't know that there's enough out there about this yet to be like, yeah, this is absolutely going to help you. Yeah. Um, so mo most of my people have been fine with giving it a try. If any of them have any concerns about it, um, you know, the, the computer system that we use makes it really easy to reach out to their physicians, which I've done on multiple occasions. and been like, Hey, I'm, I'm planning on trying this. Is there any, any reason that you wouldn't want me to? And, and usually the response is, I'm not super familiar with that. If you think it's okay. What is that? What? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I had one request not to, and, and so yeah. we just did. Okay. Yeah. What, what outcomes are you guys looking at in, in these folks? Um, you know, so with our people that we were, the, the first study that we did was, was just if we could get that high intensity. Um, I did another one in conjunction with Trine University and we were looking for EMG changes in people post-spinal cord injury on the geo with mm -hmm. the BFR. Um, and so hopefully both of those will, will get out there, you know, soon, soon being kind of a relative term, I'm sure. Um, yeah. Our next one was going to be to try it and see if we got bigger results with changes and, and probably six minute walk or the, um, the 10 meter walk test, those, those kinds of ones. More functional tests. Okay. Yeah. So I, you know, one of our people that we did use this on, um, this is kind of a, a, a crazy story. Um, and I know they don't mind me talking about them. I, I was seeing, um, a patient after a spinal cord injury and they had kind of heard about what we were doing and, and specifically requested to come, to come work with us. So we had been doing that and his wife, um, was, was pretty, is pretty young and ended up having, a, a stroke during our spinal cord support group. Um, and then, you know, when she was in acute care, she did, she did pretty well. She was there for a while and got to inpatient rehab. Um, and our inpatient rehab and outpatient are in the same setting. So we kind of went up and talked to her and she's like, I want to try the BFR. I was like, well, you know, like, look out there and rehab. And I think her direct quote was, I don't know that it could get any worse. Let's see what happens. Um, and you know, she had, she had been around it and, um, she was a huge advocate for her, for her husband. So looked into the science behind it and the results and, and we had been doing it for a little while. 
and our, our neuro resident was actually in inpatient rehab at that time. So we made sure she got with him and, you know, she was not able to walk, um, even really close to independently at that time. So they did, I think only three sessions of BFR with the robotic assisted gate with the geo. And she went from max assist to contact guard in three wow. sessions. Damn, um, that's amazing. Yeah. Like, um, like maybe trace motion to anti-gravity motion in a week, which is just ridiculous progress. So wow. Yeah. Wow. But her, like her change in six minute walk and tug and Berg and all those functional scales was, was just wild. I mean, she made great progress. Yeah. And how quickly after her CVA did y'all do this? Uh, I, I want to say, I want to say she was in acute care, like ICU acute care for maybe two weeks. Okay. So pretty Pretty quickly Very after. Early. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and, and some pretty significant physical deficits, but no cognitive deficit. So, you know, she, she knew what she was asking when she requested mm -hmm. to do it. Yeah. Did she discharge outpatient and you guys keep doing BFR yeah. things with her? Okay. Yeah. She Burner. has she continued to make very, very good progress. Like burn her husband, like fighting over the units. No, I was next. <laughs> well, we only have one. So now we <laughs> schedule them at the same time. <laughs> oh, that poor thing. Like she didn't have enough on her plate, you know, with her yeah. husband's injury. And then yeah. that, that's crazy. It's yes. awesome story. Um, let me see. What's the next question, Kyle? Um, that's a great question, Johnny. What is the next question? <laughs> I did, I did do some, uh, some reach outs, Nicole. I just threw it out there, like on Twitter and Instagram, we were going to have you on. Um, so I'll ask you one of those while I formulate my next question, but, um, buddy of mine, Philip team, who, uh, I, I should shout him out because I, I believe he just passed his boards for the PT exam. So he's a, uh, an athletic trainer and now he's a PT oh, as well. Okay. Yeah. So he's, he is a licensed professional and I'm pretty sure he's back up in Northern California with Ross Nakaji at this point, which great crew of people up there that, that we've worked with. Um, Philip reached out and he, he said, or he was curious, you know, how you get these neurologic patients basically to kind of buy into the BFR which I, I think you've sort of answered a little bit, but you know, maybe if I might add a little nuance to that question and just say, well, yeah. maybe somebody that was kind of reluctant and you sort of, I don't know, educated them. How'd you go about doing that? What the, what they look like? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, you know, when, when we first started doing it, our, our people with spinal cord injury, they were just on board. They, they're, like I said, willing to try anything. They, I did not have to do much convincing there. In fact, I had to kind of slow it down. I'm like, look, I got to read some more things about this to make sure. This <laughs> um, but after, after we do have a, a very, very active and involved spinal cord injury support group. And I think that's one of the cool things about going to a center that focuses on neuro rehab. Um, most of the time when we have somebody with spinal cord and a spinal cord injury in the gym, they're, they're not the only person in there with that diagnosis. Mm -hmm. A lot of each other from, from that support group too. And I have been so, so lucky to have my longer standing patients be so willing, um, to offer mentorship or advice or support to our patients with newer spinal cord injury, again, making sure both of them are okay with, you know, with facilitating that conversation. But I think that's gone a long way, a long way to it as well. Cool. You know, talking about the safety, this was our concern. This is what we found out by looking in the literature. Um, and we're, we're not super pushy with it. You know, if they want to see it being used right. on some, because both patients are okay with the other one watching, we'll do that. Um, 
you know, just, just that kind of thing. If they, if they want to try it, we're happy to, to facilitate that. And if they're a little hesitant about it, then, you know, we, we tend to see our patients with this diagnosis for a long time. Um, right. So you have, you've kind of done the, the work of building that rapport, sort of just generally mm-hmm. getting the buy-in and the, and the trust from the patient. And then yeah, absolutely. you kind of layer this in. And, and really, I mean, if you think about it and you just kind of break these things down into little bits and sort of take a 30,000 foot view, that's kind of how you're using DFR, or at least, you know, based on what you had said, it's like, all right, well, we already had these people try yep. this robotic assisted device now yep. and we know it's safe we know they can tolerate it we know what their responses are now let's add in this other kind of component that we're trying to progress the exercise with which i think is a piece that people miss with bfr a lot it's like they always want to know is bfr good for this or that diagnosis is going to fix this or and how exactly should i use it and i'm like well you have a patient and you're working with them, you figure out what they can do and does it meet thresholds for exercise and clinical practice guidelines like you guys did. And then maybe you add BFR to just ramp it up a little bit. Um, So yeah, anyway. I think that actually reminded me some of the, some of the things um, one of our early patients said too, and, and my patient that had the stroke that she was in great shape, like did crazy things like run marathons and triathlons and all that lunacy, um, before, but all of them have said that with the BFR, they actually feel like they're getting a good workout, which their body was kind of preventing them from physically being able to achieve without the BFR. Mm -hmm. But that fact that we got, that we get pretty consistently as well. They feeling like they got a great workout after they use it. Yeah, that was we that heard, was the big thing that Shanda said. Shanda plan as well. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was huge. It was hers. And even some of the ones that weren't huge workouters, I think they were just. I haven't felt my muscles do this, and it was yeah. almost like liberating to them. It sounded like, and then yeah. and almost like craving it again. Like, okay, let's go <laughs> one more time, which is crazy because <laughs> in ortho, everyone's like, no, not again. Please, <laughs> yeah. they're they're a lot more wussy uh, in our world. Yeah. Yeah. Have you guys done it with TBI at all? Do you get many of those there? So we, that's a diagnosis that we have not yet. Um, we, and honestly, we, I don't know that we've gotten a lot of people with, um, with that diagnosis as, as recently as we've been doing this. Yeah. It's on, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not opposed to it as long as, as long as they're, you know, cognitively intact enough to give consent and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Duke university had a, a registered trial where they were going to look at it in TBIs. And I think COVID might've killed. It. I haven't followed up with them in a while, but you know, in the DOD with our TBIs, they would use our, our clinic as a way they would bring them in and, and exercise them to bring on their symptoms. Um, you know, if you could really like push them hard. And so that was always kind of my fear in that population because BFR is hard whenever you do it. Yeah. I, I mean, I think with, a, like with anything else, we just have to do a, a pretty good job of monitoring vitals and symptoms and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think we, too, I, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. Um, you know, we, I do have a, a patient that is 10 now and she was nine when we started with transverse myelitis that also kind of her parents heard what we were doing. Um, and she, she drives from a little ways away to come see that. Um, and again, we were very cautious about that yeah. and easy she, I feel like she's getting great results and she and her parents, I, I believe feel that way too. Nice. How about like 
next day, any delayed onset muscle soreness or anything like that in this population? I don't know that anyone has said anything different than, than, you know, we, we tend to push our patients pretty hard just in general. I don't know that anyone's anything outside of the ordinary. Okay. Kyle, I've got another That was a, that was a, actually a question that the, um, so we were talking before you got on Johnny about, um, the space flight conference that Luke Hughes and I were at, um, last week, a uh, really cool conference down in Houston, brought together a lot of people from a lot of different areas of space flight, a lot of different professions that are not, not medical in any way. Um, <clears throat> but the, one of the individuals there that has an exercise background actually asked a question about, um, and said, stated kind of definitively um, when asking Luke this, they said, you know, we really get a lot of doms with this and, you know, we see that potentially as a problem. And, and we were all kind of like, eh, Luke, Luke very um, eloquently navigated around that. Whereas me, typically, I probably would have said, well, that means I made a mistake clinician if you got a bunch of doms because that means i i asked you to do something that your body was unaccustomed to um because we know you get a repeated bounce effect and that kind of thing so um yeah that um that was a recent sort of misconception where it's like yeah we don't we don't see it a ton in the literature either but there's usually like a a ramping up sort of effect yeah. within the literature where it's like we did this and then we progressed it and then we progressed it and you've already kind of layered in. Uh, and I don't think we've about, ever so. seen it with walking clinically. Or Definitely not with, yeah, yeah, I don't think so. Now, now I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's out of the realm of possibility with walking, given that, you know, you're taking an individual that may not be able to do this on their own. Um, it, it makes sense that you potentially could get it, but yeah, I would, I, most, most of our patients are, you know, they're, they're putting forth more effort to walk than a, than a neurologically intact right. person, but I, none of them, none of them have complained about it. Yeah. Have you seen any changes in, in muscle output? You know, maybe they weren't dorsiflexing and now you're, you're seeing something. And, and with all this, we're going to caveat it, you know, that we're not, obviously we drink the Kool-Aid, but it could just be time. <laughs> it could be your great rehab. It's not yeah. always just BFR, but have you seen any? Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting that you asked that. So when we were doing our first study with just seeing if we could get EMG changes, um, I have a guy who's, I, and he's not my, my patient in general, he's one of my coworkers. Um, so I don't want to say, I don't want to say this incorrectly, but, but two or three years post, um, injury to the cervical spine with not, not a lot of active mobility in his legs at all. And after we did BFR one time, he got, um, like trace adduction. And I don't remember which leg, but one of them, which is, I mean, it, it, and again, caveat does not necessarily translate to functional movement, but it wasn't there before we did it. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. It's kind of like this spasm thing. You know, we had a service member who had a dislocated knee and, and he'd lost the, the fibular nerve and, and, you know, he couldn't dorsiflex. And it, and it was, again, this was like years out. He was sent to our place and yeah. we did it on him. And after, you know, a week or two, he actually, we could palpate a contraction and, and then he got like the extensor hal- halicus going. And then where everyone's like, yes, oh my God, you know, he's freaking out, but then <laughs> nothing, you know, that was it. And it was like, okay, what was it? You know, how did we just stimulate something? And are we missing anything here? I mean, we were East and throwing everything at him 
and, and we didn't see a change like that. So there, there might be something we're just missing or, or, you know, yeah, I, I don't know. We did, we did have another patient with inclusion body myositis, um, mm-hmm. was a little hesitant to come back to therapy because he had some negative effects from over fatigue in previous rounds, mm-hmm. but I mean, he went from, I think, using a Hoyer at home and using a power wheelchair all the time to being able to walk short household distances um, with BFR. And I, it took a couple of months, but, I, and I want to say he wasn't my patient either, but I want to say they just did like maybe two or three seated exercises. Um, and then some, he got stronger. So we very, very carefully modulated, um, you know, how much exercise he was doing to avoid that over fatigue, but he, he gained a, a lot of strength. Yeah. I, IBM's, I think the first real neurologic group that was looked at with blood flow restriction, you know, we have probably like three cases, um, and, and they all did well in these cases or improved, but, and then one, one actually kind of well done clinical trial out in Norway and the BFR group didn't get stronger, didn't see increases in their muscle, but they didn't lose it as rapidly as a control group over the rehab period. So it, it maintained. And, and if you talk to someone with IBM, they would, they would take that every day, I would think. So yeah. with um, any that it, object disorders, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is a group. And I've talked to their society as well here in, in America, and they're very interested in BFR for inclusion body myositis mm-hmm. uh, for sure. Cause that's, that's a devastating disease. Well, friend yes. of ours, it's a clinician with, yeah. that does BFR lost his grandmother and he was trying it with her in the last day. So mm-hmm. it's crazy. And I, you know, talking about research, the one thing, you know, we always lump everything, blood flow restriction when you're, when you're looking at this, but ischemic preconditioning, have you heard of that, Nicole? I, 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 I won't say that I know a lot about it. I think it has the most robust trials being thrown at the neurologic population right now, especially stroke, um, with, with actually some, some pretty fascinating results. And so that, that's going to kind of be the future. So IPC again is, is putting, is putting the tourniquet on and just inflating it. Typically we do three rounds for five minutes, deflate it. And you're, you're typically going hundred percent occlusion. And so it's, it's no exercises involved and no exercise involved because that's the way the studies are set up. Right. But if you do three rounds of blood flow restriction for six to eight minutes, you're, you're typically doing the same thing, especially at 80% occlusion. They're, they're, they're moving. So they're probably getting a little bit of occlusion on the contractions, but there was a huge study with that. And it was published in JAMA. And sometimes it's interesting to me that these things just aren't even seen by our profession. I think it was, what was the guy's name? It was like uh, Chen, I think was the, was the lead author on it. They had over 1600 patients in it. Wow. And they did it twice. Yeah. Twice a week for two weeks. And um, at the 90 day point, the IPC group had significantly improved on all their neurologic measures, all their tests that they had looked at. It published in JAMA with a massive trial, you know, and that's, that's such an easy protocol twice a week for, yeah. for several weeks after that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's one way to go at it. And, th- and then another one that's, that's really cool is published in neurology. It was um, people that had, what was the term? I wrote it down because I'm such a neuro neuron. Um, intracranial arterial stenosis. So they had had like TIAs, they confirmed them on MRI that they had this stenosis mm-hmm. and they did IPC on them twice a day for 300 days or the control group didn't do that, right? Okay. And at 90 and 300 days, they looked at both those groups again. The control group, their recurrent strokes was like 24% and 28% at 90 and 300 days. The group that did the RIPC, it was like 3% and 7%. Mm-hmm. 
recurrent strokes. And that's published in neurology. And, and so again, that's something, and I, I think, again, I was, I hadn't read that study in a while. It was older. Uh, I think again, it was just for two weeks. I mean, not for two weeks, um, not for two weeks. You'll, you'll hear this also called. No, it was two times a day. I think I mentioned that. You'll, you'll hear IPC, Nicole, but you'll also hear remote limb ischemic conditioning will okay. be another term that kind of gets used with, and it's basically the same thing. Uh, okay. But yeah, that's. But point being, you know, you're probably not going to be sitting around just IPC and your people in the clinic. Right. But every time you're doing a treatment on them, you are doing an IPC basically with a little extra because you're adding a little bit of, of active movement to it as well. So, so I think that's the stuff that we, we have to start looking at that medical side literature that's published in those journals to help lead us because it's basically what yep. we're doing. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. So there's a, a mouse study. They, they actually caused a stroke on like the middle, middle cere cerebellar artery and IPC'd them just for like two times and they showed an increase in the collaterals. So they might even be increasing actual collateral flow and that's where they're starting to see these kind of crazy improvements. So, okay. Yeah, I think we have to lean on this and then I think what we're gonna need is you guys to start running massive trials for us, Nicole. That's where I'm getting yeah. at right here. Yeah. As, uh, we're, we're signing- You got it, right, Nicole? Park view for- sure. all about that. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Get brown. Uh, far away, another question from our. I got, I got another there. question. Yeah. Um, all right, Nicole. This comes from, questions. This comes from Liam Kiernan, I believe is how you say his last name. Um, he's a neuro neuroclinical specialist guy. So he says he's got a right now. And by the way, this is not medical advice. We're just sort of kind of providing some reasoning through Thank you, all this. Yeah. Uh, and we have a disclaimer at the end of the pod too, but just figured I'd go ahead and say it since he's actually kind of presenting kind of a case to us. Um, so anyway, he's got this patient uh, right-sided strength loss after a spinal cord stroke of an unknown etiology. Um, and he was curious, number one, do you, would you just kind of inherently have concerns about using BFR on that individual? I, you know, I think, I think with something new like this and, and also, you know, myself with a background in neuro, it, it does sound wild, like putting a cuff on occluding blood flow on a limb that's weak, a limb that probably has impaired sensation. It, it is a little bit counterintuitive. Um, so I think there's always a little bit of, I don't know if hesitation is, is the right caution maybe, um, that I, that I think we need to proceed with, but you know what, when I tried it with my, my patients, again, the first time I tried it, I didn't do anything wild. You know, I wasn't trying to make them run a mile or anything crazy like that. Like we stayed on the, we did mat exercises. I think I monitored blood pressure, like probably more than was really necessary, but I was a little nervous. <laughs> and then, you do way yeah. better than we do in ortho. We don't, <laughs> we don't have blood pressure cuffs in our clinics. I don't even know what that is. Well, I don't think your patients pass out as often as mine. <laughs> <laughs> they don't. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, keep going. You're doing great. <laughs> um, you know, so I I would probably be a little bit a little bit cautious if they had completely absent sensation in that limb. I now I'm not going to say I wouldn't do it, but it would be on the side of you know caution because if something goes wrong and they can't tell, um, 
so that way we'd have to, we just have to be really, really careful with paying attention to what our patient is reporting, like how they're feeling. And then, and again, I, I would probably take vitals pretty, pretty regularly the first, yeah. at least the first time that we tried it. I, I think the, the vitals piece, you know, um, is A, it's smart, but, but B, also, if we just kind of layer that into the decision-making process here, we actually are providing some restriction that's full to a limb. Um, so it's not as though you're going to be applying something here in this circumstance that at some level hasn't kind of been done already. And you can right. always, you can always deflate, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, assuming we're talking upper extremity, lower extremity, obviously a little bit different scenario because it does get a bit tighter and they probably haven't had blood pressure mm -hmm. on a leg, but yeah, I, I think on my end, I would, I would just want to know medically, where is this person? Like, what is their health? You know, am I, am I, are there any red flags on that side of things for starters? Um, and then I kind of to, just like you said, I mean, you, you know, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, make sure the patient's okay with trying it. Um, yeah. you know, you're not forcing this on anybody kind of thing. Um, you're going to present kind of why you would <clears throat> consider it and think it might be valuable, um, yep. and then kind of gauge where they're at. Um, so it sounds, it sounds kind of like Liam is pretty well convinced that his patient will, would at least benefit from maybe giving this a go. So, so he mm -hmm. kind of followed up that question by saying, okay, you know, let's suppose safe or we feel okay, at least kind of trying it. How do you convince the skeptical physician <laughs> that it's okay to give it a shot? <laughs> I honestly have not had, um, too hard of a time. I, and granted, I have also worked at Parkview for 20 years. Um, you know, I've done career in, in one place. So I, I feel like you I have slap a your CV down on the table is yeah. what you do. I see, what, I see how this goes around there, Nicole. I'm OG, Mofo. I'm an OG. <laughs> like, I've been here longer than you, Mr. Doctor. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely not done that. Um, but you know, if, you know, if it's, I think it's worth having a conversation. Um, you know, I think there's, there's at least some literature out there that says it's not dangerous. So, or that says it's safe. It doesn't even say it's not dangerous. It says it's safe. So I think that's probably where I would, that's probably where I would start. Yeah. And we're seeing the world's changed so much, you know, when we were first looking at this in the military, just talking to the orthos about it, it, it was like, I was barbecuing kittens. The expressions were giving me like, what the hell? And now I mean, I, I, a lot of people really know this, even just from a little, you know, just a, a little mm -hmm. tertiary perspective. And so I, I think that helps. And, and, you know, one of our talks at CSM was um, doing BFR with lung transplant patients and their videos. I mean, they're really ICU sick individuals um, yeah. doing BFR. And, and he's like, yeah, no, there wasn't any pushback. You know, it was down at the VA in, in Miami. And, He's like, most of them have heard of it. And one guy, you know, asked about it and was a little concerned. He's like, well, you know, we have the blood pressure cuffs running on this guy all day. Are you okay with that? And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, sure. So yeah, go ahead and do that BFR thing as well. So, um, but I, I do think, you know, with you guys doing kind of pioneering work and others now, it's it's just going to become more and more adopted. And, and again, like everything, the clinical work is going to be way ahead of the actual clinical trials, but that has to happen. Yeah. Not, we aren't using drugs. 
Right. Well, and I think it goes with everything else. There's clinical decision-making when it comes to every intervention that you do with your patient. Is this a good idea? Is is this going to give them the most benefit? You know, if we have an hour with them twice a week, what can I do in those two hours a week? That's going to give them the, you know, how can I optimize my time? How can I maximize the time I have? Yeah. Are most of your patients on blood thinners in the inpatient setting? Um, I haven't worked in inpatient for a while. I, I smart, would, smart. I would guess. Yes. Okay. Cause that, that is something that's a risk, but I mean, really, really low risk is the potential of the cuff just to cause some bruising or, or something like that with these people on blood thinners. But have you guys seen anything like that? I have not. If I had somebody that, that I knew was on a blood thinner, I would, I mean, I probably, I might not start out at 80 preclusion, 80% occlusion, then I might go 60% and yeah. And see what happened from there. You know, yeah. that, that, probably a case where I would, I would contact the doctor before I, before yeah. I did it or they were okay with it. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, again, it's, it, it worse. It seems like it would just be a bruising thing, but Kyle, right. what of the, the SCOE guy, mm-hmm. he, he was asking that and said, he doesn't start his post-ops that are on blood thinners on BFR till they're off their blood thinners. And I asked him why, and he was like, oh, I'm not sure. So. Yeah. I, th- I think that's the, I mean, you know, going back to, Nicole just saying, well, I'd like to try to have a conversation about it, you know, because mm-hmm. I think so often the, what happens is like, you have, you're having these conversations and like, like passing in the hall mm-hmm. um, and, you know, physicians, their training is they must give an answer and a definitive answer. And it, like, that's, that's kind of it. You know, they expect patients coming to them for that. Uh, and so it translates kind of over sometimes, I think, into interacting with us on the rehab side where mm-hmm. we, we would really kind of like to be able to have more of a discussion, if you will. And so if you're, if you're mm-hmm. able to have that discussion and kind of ask those questions, well, yeah, like blood thinners, but like what, like what is the bad thing that might happen you know, in response to the use of the strength? Are we just worried about a little bit of bruising? Like, is that a huge concern, you know, um, I, I, one of the conversations we've had, Johnny, that sticks out in my head on that front is when we had Dr. Franz on and he was talking about the decision to begin using BFR. Um, what was it? Day two after total knee arthroplasty in the hospital. And he's like, basically we've made everybody get in the room, sit around a table and kind of go pros and cons. And nobody could come up with a reason like an actual reason to point to, to say, this is why we shouldn't do this this early, Um, you know, but there's plenty of reason when you start talking about how quickly muscle goes away that you could use to justify why you might use it early on. So that's my side. He's an orthopedic surgeon over in Germany (laughs) that works with us. And so that helps to, but he worked backwards. He went in the room and just said, tell me why we can't do it. He didn't even just say why this will work. He just tell me why first we can't do it. Right. Everyone's like, oh, I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a fair question. I have, I have one more individual that asked some questions of you, Nicole, um, okay. if you don't mind imparting your wisdom here. Uh, one of them we already kind of answered a little bit. So, um, but the going back to kind of the walking thing, he asked a question about high intensity interval walking mm-hmm. or, or, you know, how are you using that with BFR if, if you are? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of, my interest in BFR came from our patients that are functioning at a little bit of a lower level. So, you know, kind of at that bridge between, I think they have ambulatory potential, but we're not, you know, we're not there yet without significant physical assistance. So how do we get from point A to point B? Um, but then, you know, once we started doing it a little bit more regularly, it kind of swung to the other side too. You know, we, we had another patient who, um, actually was a, is a physician, um, great shape again, also one of those crazy people that like did marathons and very, very physically active and like his resting heart rate was like 55 or something ridiculous. So trying to get him to that high intensity threshold was really, really hard. Yeah. Uh, so we used BFR for that as well. Um, nice. we've kind of used it with now, now we use it, you know, pretty, pretty well across the spectrum. So for, you know, for those people who are doing well enough that it's hard to get there, their heart rate up to the threshold. And then also for our people who require enough physical assistance that they, we might not be able to get their, their heart rate up there because yeah. they can't their body go. I, I hope that, I hope that our listeners are picking up on this trend with your answers. Cause I am. Um, and, and I think it's really important because, and it's something that I, I feel like I just don't see clinicians doing enough of or reasoning enough through when they, when they talk to us, but that is that you have evaluated this individual at some level and you found um, a a deficit that, or or a need that BFR can fill, for example, you know, the, the individual that really needs to get their heart rate up and needs to exercise hard, but they're so fit that it's really difficult to do this. And so your thought process was, all right, how, how do I elevate this individual's heart rate? What tools do I have available to me that might be able to do that? And, and BFR ended up kind of being the answer. And I feel like if we all sort of went through that thought process a little bit more with many of the exercises that we give, we'd see fewer people, you know, balancing on BOSU balls and catching shit with one eye covered. You know, like it, like exercise would get a little bit more meaningful and kind of have a purpose behind it, which is one of the things that you, it keeps, you're not saying it as directly as I'm saying it, (laughs) but you are saying it every single time we ask you about a scenario. So that's been really fun to hear. Um, I like it. Dude, a hundred percent. And the other thing, we, we preach this all the time. (laughs) Use an RPE or, you know, she's using heart rate to see if they're getting to a target like BFR. It's just like working out. It's effort. You know, Mm -hmm. it's gotta be effort. And people are like, I'm not seeing the the results, you know, with this guy versus this guy or that you were seeing Johnny and you see him doing it. It's like, yeah, this guy's probably at like a four or five right now. His biggest pain is the tourniquet. That's it. You know, and the effort has to be from Mm -hmm. the work given and just, uh, you know, maybe John will, get mad at me from from his youtube your colleague there at parkview i love it because they're do they all you know they always do these youtube talks and they're explaining bfr and they got the patient behind them that's just dying it's this kid and he's like like moving around and he's dying and he's trying you know and i'm like that dude's like at a nine or ten right now i love it keep it going keep it going and he's like holding his thigh right but then he's walking around and he's still talking and there's this other like high school kid and he looks like he's just doing one pound leg extensions with nothing going on. You know, there's yeah. no effort there hardly at all. He's got a cuff on, but you're not going to see the same results. And 
Yeah. I mean, again, always with like all the other outside of ortho, neuro, and other pop, you know, our other um, specialty subsections, you guys mm-hmm. track things so much better than we do. You know, yeah. we just slap things on and go. Well, I, I 100% can vouch for how hard John makes his patients work. He saw my daughter and did blood flow restriction too. So he wasn't, it wasn't even, this kid was in the background. You know, it wasn't even like one of his guys or whatever. He was filming a video, but so it was funny. just, it was a perfect, you know, yeah. that that's the effort based thing. And so these yeah. RPE scales and heart rate, I, and I, we never really look at the heart rate piece, but that, that's a pretty cool target to go after as well. Yeah. Well, and I, I think too, with your neuro population, you know, no one's coming to see us because something good just happened to them, which, you know, I'm yeah. sure. Amen. Uh, but you know sometimes after a stroke they're on different medications that can affect heart rate and you know it's that's in best interest of keeping keeping them safe um because you know we also you know if they're attaining their target heart rate just walking across the room like we probably don't want to bfr on them and unsafe level either right how are you tracking that are you using like a polar or um i have a polar but we usually use an apple watch so we use the polar for our studies um but watch is just a little bit it, it's just time consuming to you know slap on them and, and go and a lot of people have their own too so that's kind of nice yeah yeah cool cool at least awesome. something yeah um so re- that question the the high intensity walking question was from an individual named randy Hewitt. um he, he reached out via instagram and i feel like i know randy but spacing on how I know him right now. So apologies, Randy, if I, if I screwed that up, my man. Um, he, he followed up that question and he said, when, when you're doing like an aerobic protocol, mm-hmm. um, he was kind of curious about like your, if you're doing interval walking with BFR about your inflation and deflation cycles, like how are you, how are you deciding to split those up kind of thing? I, you know, just, just being really honest, I usually use the eight minute cycle because that's one of the pre-programmed settings. Um, and then also that's, that's what most of the literature I read, they use that setting. And so I know that one's safe. Um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, we'll go eight minutes if they, and then, you know, I think there's a, there's at least 60 seconds of that between, um, kind of let them rest as long as they need to. And then if they can do it again, we do it again. Um, you know, I, I kind of feel if they leave me feeling like they haven't gotten a good workout, I didn't do a good job. So yeah, yeah, amen. Well, they're tired for sure. Absolutely. You're right on target. And in the aerobic world of BFR, I mean, we really see this 15 minute threshold is a nice mm-hmm. target to shoot for. And a lot of studies, you know, we'll see also in aerobics, we'll get to the 15 minutes and a little bit up. So these two rounds of eight minutes, you're right there. In healthy yeah. people, that's in, in health, healthy, healthy. Again, in healthy, yeah, we, we don't know in that. your population, right? Yeah. Well, and also, you know, if they're if they're tired after four minutes, we stop. I mean, I don't I don't make them keep going if yeah. they can't keep going. You know, we yeah. we go by and, and what their vitals yeah. are telling. So right, yeah. I mean, in the end, you're kind of going to what what they can tolerate. So it could be a could be a two minute interval, could be four, could be eight. And there's a lot of different ways to skin yes. that cat, if you will, for sure. Yep. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. The main thing, the main piece being effort. Mm-hmm. So these studies um, are submitted now. We, you've got the case submitted. These other ones. Are my my resident case study. Um, the other ones were were writing. Okay. All right. We'll yeah. get on it. We need it. We need it. Let's go. Yep. Yep. God, stuff is taking so long now. I had a paper come out that was in. It went digital preprint 
a year and a half ago and it just came out oh, wow. you know, not too long ago. It's just, I'm, there's no reviewers anymore and I'm guilty. I'm declining <laughs> like so many things nowadays as I'm sure you probably are as well, Nicole. Yeah. Luckily well, that's not to do. <laughs> this, is, this has been awesome. I love what you guys are doing. Thank you for being pioneers. And- Thank you. Yeah. And you know, like I said, our, our guys over at our athletic rehab office have been, they've been so patient with us, with us asking, you know, basically the same question 15,000 times. Um, and you know, coming over to help us with it, teaching us how to use it safely, how to set it up. And and they have been, you know, invaluable. Um, I do think it's really nice that we work for a place that allows that level of communication between, between two different areas that, that don't really on the surface have a lot in common. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. We'll tell those guys we said, I, and thanks for all of that as well. Is your, yeah, is yeah. your favorite book still Harry Potter? I'm always, you can't go wrong with, yeah. <laughs> I watch, she's got a YouTube on the Parkview website. For no way. So yeah, you, <laughs> no, Harry Potter. She declares herself a nerd right off the bat. Uh, <laughs> I, I saw a video just the other day talking about how Harry Potter is basically just JK Rowling um, stealing the Star Wars uh, um like dude, story, dude, if dude, you will. It's like you're making fun of cats. You're gonna get so many people pissed off. I know, like, but don't don't mess with the Harry Potter crowd. <laughs> uh, they can team up with the Star Wars people. They gotta broaden their horizons and communicate like Nicole in the neuro did with the sports people. See? All right, all right. Yep, circle. Yep. Great Full parallel. Circle. <laughs> well, Nicole, thanks so much. Keep us posted and if you see when these things go to print, let us know. We'd love to share it in our community. Yeah. Put yes. you back on in a year and hear about all the other cool things you're doing. Okay. Thank you guys so much awesome. for this opportunity. This was great. Thank awesome. you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Owens Recovery Science Podcast. Owens Recovery Science is a single source for PTs, OTs, ATCs, DCs, MDs, and other medical professionals seeking certification in personalized blood flow restriction rehabilitation training. Find them online at owensrecoveryscience.com. One last thing before we get out of here. First, want to say a sincere thank you for listening all the way through. But also wanted to remind you that this podcast should not be considered medical advice. It is strictly entertainment. It's a way for us to try to keep up with what is ongoing within the BFR world. If you require some sort of medical attention, medical advice, please seek that from a licensed individual within your state. Thanks, and we'll talk to you soon.